0: Another well, sort of music. Another sort of music. Oh, yeah. They're happy in Berlin. November 3rd, 1973. Keith Jarrett, the American Quartet, or Quintet here, perhaps. It's uh, Keith Jarrett, you heard on soprano saxophone, also playing piano. Dewey Redmond, tenor saxophone. Charlie Hayden on the bass. Paul Motion on the drums. That's the American Quartet right there. And in this case, sometimes joined by a percussionist, often that was Guillerme Franco, as it was this night in berlin in the philharmonia now that's one of two treats for you tonight okay live unreleased recordings of keith jarrett's american quartet that you haven't heard before that are marvelous right Right. the other is brandon ross here in the studio with us
1: welcome (laughs) welcome to our
0: world (laughs) indeed uh so we were just uh Falling in through that music and um, uh, first impressions.
1: Yeah, no, I was uh, uh, I was struck, and I had been thinking about this earlier about how, uh, in this period of the quartet quintet, for me that you, the influence of Ornette's music and, and conception, and probably just streaming through uh, Charlie and Dewey, um, how it bore so heavily in, in some of Keith's writing and, and the way the group played. Uh, but I remember I used to have conversations about this quartet, this group with Butch Morris sometimes. We'd be talking at 2 or 3 in the morning and I'd call up and say, Hey, Butch, do you know such and such? He said, Oh, man, yeah, that's, I, I love that track. That's such a great quartet that went by and all that music they were doing and, of course, Dewey's records and just a lot of amazing not necessarily unsung, but perhaps, uh, uh, I would say in position now to be rediscovered, maybe appreciated some more, uh, for what, what was happening, what went on a period of the seventies in the music. So it was nice to hear that.
0: What, um, what in particular speaks of Warnett in this music to you?
1: Uh, the open way of, um, playing, uh, it's not like it's free playing. It's an, it's an open way of playing and how the, the creation of point and counterpoint of melodic conversation communication carries on, especially with Dewey and Charlie, and you can hear how they're able to move the music um, w- without uh, leaning on particular kinds of devices uh, that perhaps... Is something that started to change as we get further away from this period in the music. Um, maybe not. Not sure. Just the flow and, and motion of ideas and uh, the collective sound that's produced as a result.
0: And the, the energy is big and bright and up and like yeah, tumbling forward. It, yeah,
1: you, you can tell they were younger, happy guys. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> There's um, that openness is not always the first thing people speak of when they talk about Keith Jarrett.
1: Uh, I I guess depending again which period we're talking about with Keith Jarrett that maybe there's a a concern with a kind of formalism that um, as Keith has sort of uh, moved forward in his recording career that shows up in a different kind of way. And then there's the period where he had the European quartet, which was a much different uh, approach to playing his music. And I think I may have read things where he talked about the experience of playing with the American quartet and then meeting a bunch of guys who were so very concerned about doing things really correctly you know, according to his intention, um, which might have been just the pendulum swing to, to another extreme. Uh, and then perhaps the flavor of uh, ECM and the, the recorded direction of, of the ECM uh, aesthetic in general.
0: Well, which which came first? Because uh, I think that yeah. ECM vibe people associate, you know, with Keith Jarrett and vice versa.
1: Well, in, arguably you could say that Keith made the label, but that would not to ignore any of the other people who were there in in the early stages in doing that, and and Manfred's vision for it, which was a great vision, and probably established an early sense of branding for that label. I remember when I discovered it, uh, the whole thing about the recording quality and the artwork, uh, the delivery of, of the package as a whole was something that, oh, ECM, I'm buying it. Yeah. I'm just buying it. I don't know who this is, but The I'm weight of this. those LPs, yeah, the mass of it. Yeah, exactly. The mass of it. The yeah. of it, the, the, the gram weight of, of the LPs, the quality of everything, which uh, was a wonderful uh, in. I guess, a wonderful change, probably, maybe, in, in the way things were handled. And uh, it's still, to this day, it holds a lot of prestige uh, for artists and people who own those. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, hard to say. It's probably the evolution of Keith's work as an artist. Who knows? I don't know him well enough to know that. But I certainly appreciate this period of the American Quartet and before, because there's uh, just a this kind of hard-hitting... Uh, Intensity and uh, energetic that I particularly enjoy.
0: Brandon Ross is our guest tonight. The show is called Deep Focus, and our focus is on Keith Jarrett, in particular his American quartet from early mid-'70s. We're in Berlin, 1973. Uh, Tell us about your experience with this group and and the place that it holds for you.
1: Well, I have, you know, funny, some anecdotal things, because at the time I was you know, just practicing all the time and listening to these records and um, wondering if I could have a career in music and how to go about that. And, of course, had girlfriends uh, who, (laughs) you know, when I would put this on, they'd be, what are you listening to? And be (laughs) like, oh, this is, you know, Keith Jarrett. Well, but it's not that other record. I said, no, no, this is the other record. They said, well, this sounds like fragmented and disjointed and... um, that was the end of that relationship shortly (laughs) down the road. (laughs) I had a similar experience when Blood put out his record, Tales of Captain Black, taking a road trip with my then-girlfriend, and I was in the passenger seat. So we're driving down the road, she says, why don't you put on some music? So I put on Tales of Captain Black, Mm -hmm. which which is so funny. I talk about this a lot with Melvin Gibbs, one of my colleagues in Harriet Tubman, about how that choice was like... The car practically careened off the side of the road.
0: Was there was there like a sign on the road? You know, left turn, stay with the Captain Black. Right turn, stay with the girl.
1: No, it was it was, it was uh, that that sorted itself out. But it, it, it was I'm, just clear. I'm picturing that. a you know
0: Wiley Coyote moment. or something.
1: No, 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 it wasn't that. If if it was Wiley Coyote, it would have been with the Acme rocket <laughs> firecracker thing, where he's like. Pish. Um, but I, I was, uh, involved in trying to understand a lot of different things about this music. At the time, I think I was living up in Amherst, Massachusetts, and, um, Archie Shepp was there at the time that I'm talking about, and, uh, Marion Brown was in the area, um, saxophonist Marion Brown, um. Vishnu Wood bassist was at Hampshire College where I spent a lot of time hanging out and there was there were a lot of great concert series that would happen. People would come through. Um, Air came through with Henry Threadgill, Steve McCall, and Fred Hopkins and so I caught all, all of this music and of course also just, you know, kinda had this vibratory connect with uh the thing that, that Jarrett was doing and this group and uh, so just really trying to you know figure this out uh, f- from the inside as a player and how it made sense how it connected with me and whether or not again like I could uh, go this way <clears throat> excuse me
0: there is, yeah there is, there is a a path these guys are carving out between structure and freedom and openness and being able to respond to the moment they have a distinct voice.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's true of anything, but in particular in music, what my concern has, has always been and the value that I still hold is about the voice of origin, the, your, your own voice. And uh, sometimes people get to that right away. Um, they get to their thing early. I remember some years back, it might be a while now, but um, I went to my mailbox and there was this package and it turned out to be from Bill Frizzell and he had sent me a, um, a catalog from a Jacob Lawrence show where he had, they had featured his illustrations of the life of Harriet Tubman. So um, Bill, just being the sweetheart that he is, just uh, bought a copy and sent it to me and he said, hey, Brandon, saw this and thought you might appreciate it. Um, Jacob Lawrence reminds me of of Monk, like how he, you know he got to his thing really early, and that's an important observation. Like you, some t- people get to their thing early, some people get to it later, or some people may not get to it at all. But that's the journey that I think uh, creative uh, musicians are making is getting to your voice, and there's a lot of Distraction. There's a lot of static. There's a lot of stuff out there uh, that you can get sidelined by. Um, and some of that has to do with the way we learn um, what that process is and what people are telling you about what's valuable and, and what's important. And with any educational process, any growing process, you really have to sort through things and find out what's useful for you, what serves your intention, what your intention is, uh, and how to go about that. And that's, that's, an, that's lifelong. It's, a, it's an ongoing process. Um, the advent of new technologies, the changes in trend or taste, um, so many factors that, that you have to negotiate. So hearing this and hearing these guys, like if you take a snapshot of this moment, it might be very easy to dismiss it as being uh, disorganized as not having or possessing the values of order or deep insight, but then you have to, you know, you have to go back. You have to back up and look back and see see where they've come from, uh, find out what what was happening before them. I mean, if you listen to Paul Motion in that moment, would you associate him with Bill Evans?
0: Right, right, <laughs> right. Which was, you know, probably people's strongest association with him. Yeah. Up until this group.
1: Exactly. Or listening to. Um, there was uh, something on YouTube that I'd seen with Wes Montgomery, and he's playing with this Dutch trio. And uh, Han Bennick was the drummer, and it was, I guess, mid-'60s, maybe late-'60s. And I didn't know that about Han. And I saw that, and you see how he's just playing totally inside the bebop structure and a swing thing. And then you hear Han today, without making that connection, you you might think that, where is this guy coming from? Well, when you find out where people are coming from and understand the choices they're making, that sets up a very different perspective about what you're hearing, what you're experiencing. So, um, many people like to think that that validates what they're doing now. Like, okay, if you, if you can play through this sequence of um, harmonic changes, and then you want to go do that, okay, we'll let you do that now, you're validated. We we know how to understand that, so we'll let you get away with this. Uh, and there's far more available on the planet than the particular structures that, that we deem uh, necessary to uh, accept as, as, as being of, of virtue or of value. Um, taking that step forward, and if I think about what I think about Orna Coleman as, as a primary example is uh, understanding oneself and developing out of the logic of that natural intelligence. And and that's a human process, uh, not restricted to the arts or anything else. That's a human process. And when we can accomplish that, something wonderful happens. When you can get that understanding with a collection of people playing in a, let's say in this case, a music ensemble, that's just such a beautiful thing, you know. A, a sound happens. Every family, if you will, has a sound. You know, what, what's your sound? We can speak about that metaphorically. Or what's your gift? What's your contribution to the society? What's your contribution to the planet? That's what, what this music reflects for me. And each group, each individual, really ought to sound different from the next one. Uh, with the advent of MTV and and, uh, mass communication and being able to transmit the same thing everywhere at once at the same time on the planet, well, there's an interesting opportunity there. There's an advantage to that. There's also maybe a disadvantage because perhaps we begin to look outward for our sense of what we need to do or validation instead of inward into our local community. I mean, now we're back into big consciousness of eat local and think local and do things in a a smaller, perhaps more intimate, meaningful scale. Uh, That being the case, with regard to music development, I should be able to stand here and see like on the next valley, the next mountain. Well, For example, Wednesday night we played last Wednesday at, at Iridium as part of the soul guitar sunday series that vernon reed has curated and vernon introduced the band and we've known each other all of us you know for a long time throughout our careers in new york and uh afterwards vernon and i were talking and it's just kind of like you know you have these like this person on the next village like i'm on one hill doing this thing that's like wow it's cool vernon's on his hill doing that thing and melvin you know it's like but it's all a part of this gigantic fabric that's going on. And and really, it ought to just be just an exciting, wonderful thing to go somewhere and hear somebody doing something fresh, doing something personal, doing something original that's revitalizing the collective as a whole and not necessarily people emulating recordings of um, basically not not a not a dead language but a language that's not necessarily living in the moment in the time that we are a part of now
0: and that isn't theirs
1: y- yeah it's bar- it's borrowed and you know that's fine you know you can we we learn a lot from all kinds of things and if it becomes something that you can speak in a way that's a living for you and there's a fluency in it i great you know great and Perhaps you know and I use the word "ought" here, so it's a charged word, but let it let it slide, everybody. But perhaps we ought to be able to get that. We ought to be able to experience that in the moment. But I'm I'm personally I'm much more interested in going to hear uh, somebody be them and enlighten me about some perspective of something that they're looking at, and not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, kind of blue or blue and green and you know. Seven and a half, or you know, reharmonized for the ninety-eighth time. It's like those. I mean, blue and green ain't broken. It doesn't need right. to be fixed. You know, it's like it's a wonderful piece of music. But like, what, what, do you, what do you have? What, what are you going to do with these twelve tones that we're dealing with in the West? Because those are the ones we deal with primarily. So, is there a way for you to present something about those that? we haven't thought of or that we did think of that we went another way or that we could say wow yeah right that's great look look how you handled that you know and then we've got to go to you if we want to get that thing we've got to go to you and it keeps things really healthy it keeps things really exciting and, and moving and vital so
0: that is saying a lot talking about a recording made 40 some years ago by an artist who leads the leader is still amongst us. Yeah. Sadly, the rest of the group is not. And um, they, were, I'm talking about you're were, you're were listening. Let me back out for a second to <laughs> tell you that you are listening to WKCR. I'm Mitch Goldman. We call this program Deep Focus. And Brandon Ross has just demonstrated why <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, inspired tonight by Keith Jarrett and his American Quartet. And uh, the time came when he moved on. These guys were still vital, making music. Dewey Redmond, Charlie Hayden, Paul Motion, uh, and Guillermo Franco's with the group tonight. But uh, another couple of years went by, and Keith Jarrett turned his ship in a new direction. And um, why neither of us, at least, has had an opportunity to ask him. But <laughs> um, but but regardless, this this moment stands. And this thing that these guys established on this night, so maybe we should just uh, hear some more music.
1: Let's jump back in.
0: We're going to jump back in. So we are in Berlin. Uh, uh, We're in Berlin, West Germany, I should say, because uh, that was the state of affairs at the time, 1973. That's right. November 3rd, and uh, it's the group that I just told you about there. So uh, let's go back to this live recording that we have thanks to the good efforts of uh, the radio station, the local radio station that recorded that, and it has thankfully made its way to the WKCR archives. It's Deep Focus, Brandon Ross and WKCR. Oh, yes, we are definitely in it. This is a live recording. As you could tell right there, you are listening. First, I should tell you, actually, I'm legally obligated to tell you, you're listening to WKCR-FM New York and WKCR-HD1. I'm Mitch Goldman. We call this show Deep Focus, a production of Jazz Alternatives, a program heard each weeknight from 6 to 9 p.m. And tonight, this episode of Deep Focus, we are in deep focus on the music of Keith Jarrett's American Quartet. And it is the subject of the deep focus of our guest tonight, Brandon Ross, guitarist, band leader, composer, (laughs) man about town, (laughs) globetrotter,
1: Brandon Ross.
0: Hey. And, uh, yeah, and we've been listening to this live recording from Berlin, 1973, of uh, the... American Quartet is Keith Jarrett playing piano and soprano saxophone. That was Dewey Redman, as if you couldn't tell. Such a distinctive voice on the tenor saxophone. Charlie Hayden on the bass. Uh, Paul Motion playing the drums. Guillermo Franco on percussion as well. And uh, this is... um, These are are big characters. These are distinctive characters. Uh, They... They come together to form this this one voice, or so it so it sounds. First, yeah. listen.
1: Yeah, uh, not having heard any of this music myself before t- now, it's exciting to listen to it, and uh, you know, uh, I mean, uh, saddening as well because you know we've we've lost Charlie and Dewey and Paul and and Guillermo. I'm, I, I mean, Keith is still here, uh, but that sound. Uh, the sound that happened within the group and the way the sound would shift depending on the soloist uh, was pretty exciting. It was very interesting to listen to that last piece Le Mistral I believe it's called and uh, the change from Dewey's solo to Keith's solo as we were remarking at the time and how the field opens up in this incredible way with with Dewey improvising the the absence of this particular polyphony that the piano um, introduces and in some cases induces into any musical setting. I was reminded of a story that um, I was telling someone once I shared with you, Mitch, that years ago, my brother Kevin Ross, who's a bassist, And I were talking, and we were listening to Nefertiti by Miles Davis. I can't remember the track specifically, but uh, Herbie Hancock was soloing. And my brother said to me, so what do you notice about that piano solo? And I said, "Uh, well, I mean, it's great. He said, no, no, besides that, what do you notice? And I thought, I don't know." know. My focus was in another area. And he said, there's no left hand. And I, it was like this light went on and opened up, a, revealed a whole other room that was sitting there that I hadn't given my attention to. And that, uh, that freedom, the, the freedom of melodic line and uh, what I call the absence of this orthodoxy that, that um, the left hand, and this is not an affront to piano players, but there, there's that thing about comping with the left hand. And it's not often that we hear uh, a very intelligently divided expression between both hands playing piano. Uh, One tends to be subservient perhaps to the other. I know, uh, I'm reminded of a a video I saw with, um, I forget, gosh, I shouldn't have known who this was, who was talking about it, but but the direction of the video was talking about playing awareness and and he's a pianist and I apologize I may remember his name but listening to this recording thinking about how the field lifts and opens up when when we lose that that uh, particular harmonic reference point which which tends to pin things down in a certain way
0: there's also there's kind of some shifting roles going on i'm hearing there's times when uh, keith jarrett's playing what sounds like a bass line with his left hand and mm-hmm. Charlie Hayden might be playing a figure and then change it up and come back to what he's doing and, and turn it inside out and uh, rhythms floating around among the whole group of them and uh, this very... Uh, there's, there's structure, but the elements of it can move. And
1: Well, we've heard, we've you know, we've lived with Keith's music long enough to understand. I mean, there's some recurring devices, as there are with most people. But this ostinato in the left hand uh, and a lot of his solo concerts feature this ostinato uh, development over which he improvises and and moves into another area of a performance of a solo improvisation. So we hear that in this piece in Le Mistral and moving through uh, a cycle of the harmony um, but it, it was, again, it was part of the signature of the sound of this group, um, those tendencies and things that happen. But I just, I keep going back to what happens when when Keith lays out and uh, Dewey and Charlie and Paul play and the way Charlie plays underneath that. And it just moves, you know, the thing starts to move and, and uh, lift up to this whole other kind of place.
0: Do you feel like uh, Keith Jarrett's holding them back a little bit? Like, he kind of wants them to be in a particular space for this, for his concept, and they...
1: Can't say. Yeah. Can't say. I, You know, and probably at this time, I would have felt differently about it, you know, back then when it was happening and being made than I do now.
0: Did you have opportunities to hear this band
1: live? I, um, not often. Uh, I was tucked away in New England. Hmm.
0: Well, they didn't, it seems like, uh... They weren't a group that was out playing clubs. I mean, when they played, it was all the, everything I've seen, mm-hmm. it was headline, major festival, event, concert hall, kind concert of. Concert hall, yeah. So uh, I yeah. don't suppose they played any place too frequently. Mm-hmm. Brandon Ross is here in the studio, I'm very happy to say, and I... I must ask you about, uh, now you, I mentioned you as band leader, co-leader of the group Harriet Tubman, and uh, I had the great opportunity to hear you guys last week, and the thing that that jumped out for me, and part of the where I find the connection between what you do and what Keith Jarrett's group does in American Quartet, is that group sound which you guys have, it's you... Melvin Gibbs on bass, J.T. Lewis playing drums, and it 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 sounds like one voice. Mm. And uh, first of all, let me ask you about anything that might be coming up, opportunities people might have to hear them in New York or elsewhere.
1: Yes, Harriet Tubman will be playing on June 5th at 10.30 p.m. at New Blue, which is downtown lower Manhattan on the Lower East Side, Avenue C between 4th and 5th Street. Uh, I believe it's sixty-two Avenue C, New Blue.
0: And so the fifth—that's uh, Friday night. Friday, yeah. Was that a week from Friday?
1: A week from Friday, a week from Great. this coming Friday. Oh, I'm um, June fifth.
0: I don't, I don't do this often, but uh, I'm telling you, listeners, right now. Do yourself a favor. If you are enjoying this music, if you are enjoying the music of Keith Jarrett that we're presenting, and you are intrigued by the words of Brandon Ross. Do not miss the opportunity to hear this group. It's uh, really is a treat. You guys don't sound like anybody else.
1: Yeah, that was that was kind of the plan. That was <laughs> you know that's the dream is to sound like you know what we sound like, and uh, it's it's nice to know that that's there. It's nice to know that enough things have been uh, carved away in some cases, and just allowed to be in other cases, and we come up with what we call being tubmanized.
0: How do you... Now, you guys have been playing together 15 years at least, yeah. I think. More.
1: Yeah, 15... Maybe maybe this might be the 16th year.
0: And how do you get to that thing? Is it something you can put into words?
1: Uh, yeah. You, you make a choice to hang in there and to... Um, be attentive you know I mean there there are many points at which the band could have you know dissolved or or split up most of which were not musical they're just dealing with survival business issues changes in life circumstances Um, but the music is something that keeps keeps calling keeps calling you know keeps calling there's something there to do I feel like the the best stuff that we've done is still sounds fresh today and we're actually gaining new quote fans unquote uh, online from music like from our first recording which came out in 98 and which still sounds uh, fresh it still sounds new and for anybody who hasn't heard it it is new basically um, and I guess the uh you know, I, I say I guess because I can't, I can't break it down to a formula. I can tell you that other people have said to me, other musicians, you know, my mentors um, spoke about a process of coming to things in your own way. Just coming to things in your own way. I know Ornette Coleman used to say to me whenever I would talk to him about this kind of stuff. He'd say, "Well, you know, maybe uh, you know, you should get." together with some guys you know and play and develop your thing and certainly that's what ornette did and has always done um henry threadgill who was you know a a major influence on me and great friend um watching henry's process which with any of his bands was to rehearse and Mm -hmm. uh, bring together elements between the different musicians, that other people might not necessarily work with, or they might find some reason to dismiss out of hand, or you might be trying to get somebody and you can't get them, and you end up getting someone else, which turns out to be the blessing in the process. It mm-hmm. turns out to be just the ingredient that that you needed. Um, but it's it's hanging in, you know, and and digging deep and. Uh, being courageous, you know, it's not like waving a banner in any particular way. It's not out there on a a mission per se, but just doing what you what you're called to do.
0: If people want to get uh, recordings of Harriet Tubman, what's their best bet?
1: Um, well, if you still do live near a record store,
0: <laughs> I remember record stores. <laughs>
1: you must live in another country, but if uh, you go to iTunes. You can find us. You can find us at Amazon. You can find us at Rhapsody. You can find us on eMusic. You can find us wherever people are downloading and streaming music. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm imagining Melvin Gibbs, who plays bass in the band, if he's listening, and laughing at that streaming thing, which is a whole other issue, and I won't go into that now. But but but
0: if you wanna if you wanna be with the music, if you wanna Breathe with the musicians if you want to respond to the energy that they are putting forth. You need to be at New Blue a week from Friday. Yeah. June 5th.
1: June 5th, 10.30 p.m., New Blue, Avenue C, 62 Avenue C, between 4th and 5th. And come out and hang with us. Come out and, and check out the vibe. Check out New Blue. It's uh, They're going to be doing their 13th anniversary this month, so there'll be a lot of concerts jumping off. Uh, But we'll be holding down that set at that night.
0: We uh, that's Brandon Ross, the group Harriet Tubman is Brandon on guitar with Melvin Gibbs on bass, J.T. Lewis playing the drums. Although you've also you guys have done some fantastic collaborations, the double trio, right? Double trio, Cassandra Wilson, Black Sun
1: Project with Cassandra Wilson playing guitar and singing with us too. Um, Double trio, Harriet Tubman double trio, which uh, features Melvin, J.T., and I, and Uh, either Ron Miles or Graham Haynes on cornet, and DJ Logic and DJ, well, DJ Singe, who I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, But Val Inc. and DJ Logic playing with us. Logic
0: made the scene the other night. Logic was was out. out.
1: Yeah. It was nice nice to see a lot of people came out. Musicians came out. Brad Jones, Rob Reddy. Um, Of course, Vernon was there. Uh, Some other people I didn't get to see. But yeah, there's real music still being made and still happening, um, even
0: in Midtown Manhattan.
1: Even in Midtown Manhattan, <laughs> even in everywhere, and I, I, you know, I don't mean to disparage any other form of expression that, that's going on out there. It's, uh, it, it is what it is, but there is something that has to do with uh, a set of musical values being expressed and communicated that relate to something that we don't, at least that I don't see as often these days.
0: There's also something that no amount of digital downloads, no uh, accumulation of Keith Jarrett live recordings in Berlin or wherever uh, no matter how high your sample rate may be no matter how vast your collection may be there is nothing like being there in the place where it's happening and being part of it
1: right I mean any you know any recording is an artifact it's it's a frozen moment in history. And it's, uh, there's probably nothing like being there in real time in a moment that will never happen again.
0: Here it is 42 years later. We're still unpacking this uh, moment that Keith Jarrett and his band made in Berlin. It's November 3rd, 1973. We're, we're in the Wayback Machine. <laughs> and uh, Berlin, West Berlin was a really fascinating place. This little... Island of Westernism in the uh, back, way behind the Iron Curtain at that time. So that's where these guys are, and it's this concert is in the Philharmonia, the Grand Concert Hall of Berlin.
1: Yeah, I remember the first time I went to play in Berlin, and it was in the late seventies, and then, of course the conditions that you're describing there were still in place. And I remember being on the train, and they stopped the train. Uh, To search it and and sent dogs underneath the train uh, to search for stowaways and the soldiers were there with you know their automatic weapons and would stroll up and down the uh, the track way looking for people trying to get in and get out it was uh, very icy very icy reception. May
0: 25th 2015 Brandon Ross my guest in the studio on the topic of Keith Jarrett's American Quartet, and this is part one of two. So there's another one waiting for you. You can go and check that one out, and uh, do us a favor too. If you you're probably already a subscriber to Deep Focus, you probably know you could find us on your favorite podcasting app or at mitchgoldman.podbean.com. I'm going to ask you, since you've made it all the way to the end of this episode to click and tell us that you like it. And I'll tell you why. When you do that, it helps people who don't know about the show but might be interested to find it. So you'll be sharing what you love with somebody who likes what you like. And all you got to do is just click, give us five stars or whatever. It'll actually make a big difference. We've got people listening all over the world, which uh, is kind of amazing to me. This is coming to you from Money Mad, Midtown Manhattan and um, going out truly to the world we're in at least 40 different countries so please do share the love by giving us a like or a click or five stars or whatever it is that they offer and if you want to come along with us too another thing you can do is find us on instagram we are deep focus podcast and we'd love to see you there you can get information about upcoming shows you'll get photos of these artists. You'll see comments from other people who like the music you like. So come on along for the ride. All right. Cut on over to part two. Also, uh, if you go to that site we mentioned, you can find dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of other episodes of Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman. I'm really glad you're joining us.